Father. Thank you for this morning already. You've you've met us, just like Dave was praying. You've touched our hearts, satisfied our heart hungers and thirsts in yourself. That's so good for us, and that's so glorifying to you, and that is worship. And I pray, Lord, that last Sunday, today, next Sunday, as we dig deeper in worship, that you would teach us by your Spirit and and then transform our worship, strengthen our worship, have us grow in worship even more as a church body. We're going to be worshiping you forever. So help us to grow now into the worshipers you want us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. And uh, if you need a Bible, we always like to say, raise your hand when I bring one to you. Because the most important words you're going to see here are the words that are in the Bible, not mine. My goal is to help you see the words of Scripture more clearly. So raise your hand, we'll bring one to you. John 4 is on page 889 in the Bibles we're passing out right now. So like I said, we're taking three weeks to deepen our understanding of what it means to worship Jesus Christ. And the reason... We want to deepen our understanding of what it means to worship Christ is so that we can deepen our experience of worshiping Christ. The goal isn't just understanding, but hearts, experience, engagement with real, genuine, powerful worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we started last week talking about why worshiping Jesus Christ is so important. And I tried to show you from John 4 that God's ultimate purpose for everything he does, from creation to raising up Abraham and Israel and sending Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and heaven, God's ultimate purpose for everything that he does is to raise up worshipers who will worship him. That's his purpose. Is He wants worshipers. That's his burning, driving purpose. And the reason he wants worshipers is because he's a God of love. And the most loving thing God could do for you, this is so crucial to understand, the most loving thing God can do for you is to create you to be, make you into a worshiper of him and his holy son Jesus. That's the most loving thing God can do for you because there's nothing more satisfying than worshiping him because our highest joy is found in in worshiping God. That's why. Now, let me give you an illustration of, of how our greatest joy is worshiping God. This is from the life of Blaise Pascal. Okay? 1600s, France. He came to trust Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid for all of his sins so he could become a worshiper. Jesus Christ poured out the Holy Spirit, changed his heart so he could become a worshiper. God's purpose for Blaise Pascal was to turn this man into a worshiper because God wanted to display his love, his mercy, in Blaise Pascal, creating him into a worshiper so he could experience this. Is it up there? It will be. I trust. Lord, I pray that it can come up. Is it going to come? There it is. Okay, here's Pascal. By the way, after he died, people found this note sewn inside his inner shirt that he wore. It was so precious to him. Here's what he wrote. This day of grace, 1654, from about half past ten at night to about half after midnight, fire, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the wise, 
security, security, feeling, joy, peace. So imagine what he was feeling to write these words, okay? God of Jesus Christ, forgetfulness of the world and all except God. He can be found only in the ways taught in the gospel. And he quotes from John 17. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. This is life eternal. He quotes John 17 again because he's experiencing it. This is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. God is love. And he has as his ultimate purpose, at great cost to himself, punishing his own son, Jesus has as his ultimate purpose and great cost to himself being punished in our place by the Father for our sin, pouring out the Spirit then, changing us. The ultimate purpose of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to turn us into worshipers so that we can experience life, the life that's found only in worshiping God and his Holy Son, Jesus. This is what life is all about. This is what God's ultimate purpose is all about. And this is why we need to study this. But now, a story like this, a quote like this, raises an obvious question. So, what about those times uh, in worship when I, like, feel nothing? What about those times? We're singing the songs. (laughs) I could be, you know, eating a hamburger, right? I'm just feeling nothing. I'm listening to the prayers, just nothing's happening inside of me. I'm listening to the word, just cold, rock, hard, heart. So what about times when we feel nothing? What should we do? Should we uh, ignore our feelings and just go through the motions? Or should we just give up and, you know, go to Starbucks, right? But what should we do? Ignore our feelings, just go through the motions, give up and say, I'll try again next Sunday or, you know, next home group. What should we do at those times when we feel nothing? I know from personal experience what that's like, okay? That's often my heart. Uh, That's often everyone's heart here, I'm assuming. Anybody not experience that ever just checking, okay? Because if that's true, then you're in heaven right now, okay? And you know you're not, so, all right. Jesus answers this question in John 4, verses 20 to 24. So let's talk about this passage. Last week I explained the background. Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were Israelites who lived in the central section of Israel who had intermarried with foreigners and mixed Old Testament worship with idol worship, and idol worship ended up taking over the whole thing. So true worship was gone. All that was left was idol worship, and they had stopped bringing their offerings to Jerusalem, and instead they built a temple on Mount Gerizim where they worshipped their idols. And so that's why 
the woman asks this question in verse 20. She says, our fathers, she's talking about the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain, Gerizim, but you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she's asking, where, where should true worship occur? We say here, Mount Gerizim, you say Jerusalem, where should true worship occur? And look what Jesus says in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Time is coming, in other words, when location won't matter. And he goes on, verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, speaking of the Jewish people, worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. In other words, your, your worship on Mount Gerizim is wrong because you don't know the true God. You've rejected what God revealed through Israel. You've rejected the true revelation of God. And he goes on in verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people. Seeking, I argued last week, he's seeking to create such people. He's seeking to make worshipers to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There's a must here about worship. And the must is not location. The must is spirit and truth. That's the only must there is about worship. Spirit and truth. Now next week we're going to talk about what it means to worship in truth. That is, we must worship the true God as he is revealed in Jesus as recorded in the scriptures. That's essential. Dig into that more next week. But this week, what does it mean to worship in spirit? What is that? What does that mean? Have you worshipped in spirit this morning already? Do you understand what that's about? So here's kind of my flow of thought. I noticed, first of all, in verse 24, that Jesus says God is spirit. Same word. But in this case, what that means is something a little bit different than for us. God is spirit, which means that God is not limited to one physical location. Jerusalem, or Gerizim, or any. He's not limited to physical location. Okay, he is spirit. He's a spiritual being, which means he can be accessed anywhere as long as you come to him in spirit and truth. So that's what it means for, for God to be spirit, but that's not what it means for us to... You know, I'm not a spiritual being who can be accessed anywhere. I'm, I'm limited in time and space. So for us, spirit means something different. So I looked at how John used the word spirit in his gospel, and I noticed that whenever he uses it for, for us, for people, it refers to... Holy Spirit-given, heartfelt feelings. Holy Spirit-given, heartfelt feelings. Uh, John 11.33 is an example of how it's heartfelt feelings. He talks about Jesus was troubled in spirit. So your spirit is, is, is your capacity to feel things. Okay, But look at John chapter 3, verse 6. Just go back a page or two in your Bibles. John chapter 3, verse 6. Look at what he says here. So the word spirit has to do with feelings, emotions, passions, desires. But look at John 3, verse 6. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. 
He's describing what happens when God saves you through faith in Christ. And Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Okay, when you are born again by the spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit birthed spirit in you. Prior to that time, you didn't have spirit because spirit refers to spirit-given, heartfelt desires, especially for God the Father, Jesus the Son, in worship, loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Before you were born again, you didn't have any of that heart towards Jesus Christ. You were apathetic, you were against, you were bored, whatever. I remember distinctly when God saved me as a senior in high school, my heart was changed. I loved Jesus Christ. I loved him. Look at him. Look at who he was, who he is. Look at God revealed in Christ, the beauty, the power, the mercy, the truth, the majesty, the sovereignty, the justice. I love him. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit births spirit in you. And so spirit is spirit-given, heartfelt desires, feelings, passions for God the Father and Jesus the Son. And Jesus says, true worshipers must worship in spirit. Must. For worship to be true... It must involve spirit-given, heartfelt feelings, desires, passions for God the Father and Jesus the Son. Okay, so just have a little quiz here to make sure we're, we're all on board so far. What if you were in a beautiful church cathedral? Okay, just stained glass windows, spire pointing towards the heavens, okay, crosses, pews, it's all right there, man. This is one of these amazing cathedrals. You've been there? Okay. And you're sitting in the pew and you're singing worship songs with boredom in your heart. It's all you're feeling. When's this going to be over? But you're in a cathedral. Is that true worship? No. Come on, you guys. It's obvious, right? Okay. No, it's not. Even though you're in a cathedral, Okay. What if, though, you're uh, sitting in your car on the shoulder of the 280 freeway waiting for the tow truck to come because your car is broken down, okay? And while you're there, you're praying, and you're surrendering to Jesus. I trust you. You are sovereign, and you are good. Father, you gave Jesus. You're going to give me everything I need, just like we read from Romans 8.32. I trust you, Lord. Is that true worship? Yes. Okay? Locations irrelevant. There must, though, be spirit and truth. It must be in truth. Worship must be in truth, directed to God as he has truly revealed himself in Jesus Christ as recorded in the truth of scriptures. And worship must be in, in spirit, with spirit-given, heartfelt desires. Feelings are an essential part of worship. Now that might freak some of you out. It would have freaked me out if I would have heard myself saying this many years ago because one of the things I was taught early in the Christian life is, is there's three parts. There's fact, there's faith, and there's feeling. There's, a, there's, the, there's the engine and then there's the fuel car and there's the caboose. Anybody else get that illustration? 
Okay? And the caboose is feelings and that you don't need the caboose for the engine to run. Okay? Feelings are optional. What's important is facts and faith. Now, none of us should depend on our feelings. We don't depend on our feelings, man. That would be a scary thing for me. I, <laughs> it would not be a pretty picture, church, if uh, I depended on my feelings. Or if you did either, right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be. We do not depend on our feelings, but the scriptures command statements like Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Feel delight in him. Or let, Thou shalt feel delight in the Lord. Let's make it more strong. Now, how can God command that? We're going to come to that in a moment. I'll just tell you. It's because it's true, first of all. When you see God as he is, and when your sin is subdued by the power of the Holy Spirit, which he will do. I'm getting ahead of myself, but he will do that. There will, there will be delight every time. Okay? I can, I can feel differently. There can be a lament delight. There can be a, a holy sorrow delight. It, it's, it's, it's not simple. It's, it can have some complexity, but... Okay, I just got way ahead of myself just then. Okay, pull back. What are some of the things the worship in spirit could feel like? I want to give you four examples. I don't think this is exhaustive, but it'll, it'll help round out the picture. What does worship in spirit feel like then? If worship must be in spirit... What does it feel like? Let me give you four examples. First, it feels joy and pleasure in God. Psalm 1611. You've made known known to be the path of life. That's the first part. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. God is perfect love, right? Flawless wisdom, sovereign power, breathtaking mercy. And when you see him, you will feel joy and pleasure just in who he is. Look at him. Okay, But that's not how worship always has to feel. Worship in spirit can also feel sometimes like stunned awe and wonder, like, whoa! Right? Psalm 46.10, Be still and know I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When There's times when you see God's massive size. Think about the universe he created. He's bigger than the universe. And the fact that he's existed from eternity past with no beginning. And he's got sovereign power over everything. Just like bigger. It's like brain explosion, brain explosion, brain explosion. You say, whoa! That's worship in spirit also. Sometimes you're not feeling joy and pleasure in God or awe and wonder in God. Sometimes you're feeling sorrow over your sin because it's dishonored God. That also is worship in spirit. Okay, Psalm 51, 17. David writes, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. These are sacrifices of worship that we're bringing. A broken spirit is one of the sacrifices God loves. A broken and contrite that is sorrowful heart, O God, you will not despise. Have you had times when you've seen God's glory and faithfulness and love displayed on the cross and it's just broken you that you were impatient and didn't trust him or that you you were loving something else more than him or that you're just lukewarm towards him? That brokenness, that that can be a, a holy sorrow and it displays God's worth because the reason you're grieving is because you've dishonored him. And, and that can be a sacrifice of worship as well. 
Sorry, are you understanding that, that worship in, in spirit can feel different ways? Joy and pleasure, yes. Awe and wonder, yes. Sorrow for sin, yes. But there's one more that's crucial to understand. Because even if you're not feeling joy and pleasure, or awe and wonder, or sorrow for sin, there's another feeling, passion, desire that can be worship in spirit. And that is feeling longing for God. I'm not feeling joy and pleasure right now. I'm not in awe of you. I'm not feeling sorrow for sin. Help me. I need you. I long to feel those things in who you are. That's worship in spirit also. Look at Psalm 63. The psalmist is experiencing that right here. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My, my soul thirsts for you. I'm thirsting. I'm not drinking right now. The joy and pleasure, it's not there. I'm not drinking. I'm thirsting. But see, oh, thirst for God is a Holy Spirit birthed gift, right? I'm thirsting for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. It's in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I'm in a desert with a thirsty soul. Your water, and I'm not drinking. Help me. The Father smiles at that worship because that displays His worth. Longing, seeking, hungering. I'm not feeling anything, God. Help me. That's worship in spirit. So do you see how important it is to understand the the broad number of ways this can look and feel? All right? But now there are times when we feel nothing. No joy and pleasure. No awe and wonder. No confession of sin. No longing. Right? Uh, Right, okay? I know from experience. So what should we do at those times? That's the question we've got to ask here. What should we do at those times? So you're kneeling down by your bed wanting to worship someone... You'd rather be doing anything else. You don't even want to be there. You're just not, not, not even feeling desire. Or you're in your home group and, and, and you know they're pulling the guitar out and passing out the song sheets and just nothing. Or you're here Sunday morning and you know, you're listening to the worship songs and just nothing's happening. So what about those times when we feel nothing? Let me give you an illustration that's really helped me. Yosemite Valley, okay? There's a tunnel at the south entrance. I think probably some of you have driven through which, when you come out of the end of it, just like out of nowhere, there's this vista point of Yosemite, right? So you got the Green Valley, you got El Cap, you got Half Dome down there, I think it's Cathedral Rock over to the right, whatever it is, and you, you come out of this tunnel and boom, there it is, you see it. Now, what if you're driving through the tunnel, anticipating, you know, this is going to be amazing, and you come out of the tunnel, but all there is is fog, Thick, gray, soupy fog. It's all you're seeing. Just, oh, fog, okay? That's how I often feel when I start to worship. I know Yosemite's there. All I've got is fog. I'm not seeing anything, right? Okay? So, so what do we do at those times? Let me tell you what not to do. Don't ignore your lack of feelings. Don't ignore it. 
Don't just settle for no feelings. Just go through the motions. I'm going to sing, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to pray, and then I'll be done. And Don't settle for lack of feelings. That would be like driving out of the tunnel of Yosemite, thick, soupy gray fog, getting out of your car, standing at the viewpoint, thick, soupy gray fog, and saying, whoa, wow, ooh, ah. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. Let me give you two reasons why not. One is because Jesus said, lack of feeling shows there's a problem. There's a problem. Now remember, remember, is hunger for God worship in spirit? Yes, I'm talking about no feelings. Not joy, pleasure, not awe, wonder, not sorrow for sin, no desire for God. Okay, if, if none of that is there, there's a problem. Here's the text, uh, Matthew 15, 7 and 8. You just jot it down. Jesus says to the Pharisees, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, and he said, This people honors me with their lips. Ooh, ah, woe, okay? But their heart is far from me. No heart for God. Just going through the motions. Lack of feelings is a problem because it shows there's something wrong in my heart. Now, this is, this is good news. We're going to come out to some good news here, okay? All right, so good news is coming. But just rest here for a moment. It shows there's something wrong in my heart. Because, see, Yosemite is there. God hasn't changed. God is infinite love, flawless faithfulness, rejoicing over me to do me good with all his heart and all his soul, loving me in Christ. That's who God is. So why can't I see and feel that? It's because that fog that's there, it's pride, it's unbelief, it's sin. Now remember, remember, this is really important, one of the spirit-given feelings that our authentic worship is longing for God. I'm talking about no feeling. Okay? That's what I'm talking about here. If you're hungering for God, that's, that's good. That's good. I'm talking about nothing. Are we clear on that point? Okay. That is worship. If you're hungering and thirsting and saying, I'm thirsting for you. You're my God. Help me. Meet me. That, okay, are we all really clear on that point? That's beautiful. Worship. That's awesome. God glorifying worship. What I'm talking about is when there is nothing. Or, 49ers are playing today. Right? What's for lunch? Or, bitter about what somebody said to me at work this last week. Or, okay, that's, I'm talking about that kind of stuff where there's just nothing of God. Just everything else. Okay. So that thick, soupy, gray fog is my sin. And so that's why we must not ignore our feelings because it's showing that there's a problem. That's the first reason. Now, the second reason we must not ignore our lack of feelings is because the Holy Spirit will change our feelings. He will change our feelings. So there you are. You're at Vista Point. You know Yosemite's out there, but all you're seeing is this thick, gray, soupy fog. But then imagine all of a sudden there's this this wind comes and when the fog is gone. Yes! See, kids, I told you it was awesome, right? Here we are, okay? That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what he does again and again and again. And so that's, you got to understand, that's what the Holy Spirit will do for you no matter how unspiritual you're feeling. He will do that for you. Um, Psalm 40, 1 through 3. Let me just give you a quick illustration. Turn there. Psalm 40, 1 through 3. I want to show you 
how the psalmist experienced that. Psalm 40, 1 through 3. Look at what he says. Memorize these verses, because here the psalmist experiences that very thing. And here he wrote this as a psalm. All Israel sang it because they all could experience it. Isaiah 40, I'm sorry, Psalm 40. Did I say Isaiah? Psalm 40. What page is that in the Bibles we passed out? 468. 468, okay. He says, this is David, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, waiting patiently doesn't mean you're, you know, you're twiddling your thumbs and... It means you're earnestly seeking and anticipating him to come. That's waiting patiently. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. So, change analogies. We're not talking about soupy fog anymore. Now we've got miry bog. All right? Ever felt like you were sunk in a pit of destruction in a miry bog as you're wanting to seek the Lord? Big time, right? So he drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure, put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. So do you see the change that took place in him here? The Holy Spirit can blow the fog. He can lift us from the bog. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We've got to get this. It doesn't make any difference how unspiritual you feel. I mean that literally. It doesn't make any difference how unspiritual you feel. The Holy Spirit can change your heart like he did when he first saved you. He took you when you were, when it came to heart for God, a, a corpse. You were dead in your sin. And he made you alive. Doesn't get more dramatic than that. Corpse, alive. No heart for God, heart for God. He does that when he first saves you, and he increases that more and more as we go on throughout our Christian lives. Holy Spirit can change our our feelings. Okay, so we shouldn't ignore our feelings. We shouldn't just go through the motions, ignoring our feelings. What should we do? We should worship in spirit. And let me give you four steps, and then then let's do them as we move into worship with communion. Four steps that I have found, well, they're they're in the scriptures, and and I've found them so helpful for me with my fog-blinded vision and my miry bog-stuck feet so often. First, Come to Jesus with your lack of feelings and trust him to help you. Okay? Don't don't just go through the motions and don't go home. As worship starts, come to Jesus. Come to him. Say, Jesus, here I am. Feeling nothing. Help me. I trust you to help me. Your death on the cross has paid for my sins. You're full of mercy. I don't deserve to come to you now, but I never do. So here I am again, undeserving. I'm I'm, I'm coming to you. Help me. So trust him. Look at Jesus. Set your heart upon Jesus and trust him to help you. That's the crucial first step. Second, confess to Jesus the state of your heart. Oh God, you're my God. I'm thirsting. Or I'm not, maybe I'm not thirsting. I'm not even thirsting right now. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for my, whatever it is, my my pride, my belief, sin, forgive me. 
You command me to delight myself in the Lord. I'm not. Forgive me. And, and give, maybe it's, I'm worried about my job, losing my job. Help me with that. Maybe it's I'm bitter about, you know, my spouse. Help me with that. Just come to him as you are and confess to him what's really going on in your heart. If it's sin, ask him to forgive you. If it's a burden, ask him to help you with it. But come to him as you are. Confess the state of your heart. And, and if there's areas of sin, receive assurance that through the cross he has completely forgiven you and is smiling upon you because you're coming. Right? You're coming. And the father's smiling. He's running towards you like the prodigal son story. Right? He's glad you're there. Third, pray earnestly then for the work of the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen, one of my go-to verses. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and then in, in Luke, when Luke records what Jesus says, the next line is, how much more will my Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke eleven thirteen. He will. So you pray, Father, give me more of the work of the Holy Spirit right now. I can't change this heart. I've never been able to change this heart but you promise that you will change this heart. You will help me. And so pray earnestly. Father, I mean, when the psalmist wrote Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. If you could have heard the tone of his voice, he was earnest. He was seeking. He was passionate. He was longing for this work of the Holy Spirit. So see, when we worship, whether it's on your own or in your home group or here Sunday morning, it should always be passionate. Always. Either passionate with joy in God or passionate because you're longing for joy in God. Because you're praying for God to work in your heart and to change your heart. But it should always be fervent, earnest, and passionate. Does that make sense? Always. It should never be complacent, lukewarm, casual. When you move into worship, you go to war. And the most powerful death blow you can deal with your sin is to bow your heart before the living God and adore Him. Kills sin. And oh, there's going to be opposition. I mean, right? I mean, Satan just goes to work when we start to worship. So when you go to worship, war begins. No soldier in war is complacent, haphazard, soldiers fight, all right? So be earnest and passionate. And then fourth, crucial fourth step, set your mind on the truth of who God is in Christ. The Holy Spirit uses truth to stir our our feelings. The, the, The sword of the Spirit is what? It's the word of God. That's the sword he uses to cut lukewarmness out of my heart time and time again. So set your heart on the truths of the songs that we're singing. Just set your heart on those truths. Set your heart on the truths. Think about the truths that, that, that God's leading Dave to be praying over us. Set your heart on those truths. There's power in those truths. Um, one way I do that, have you ever found that there's a, a lyric in the song that you know is true but isn't true for you right now? Um, like... Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my joy. You're my rest. 
Not now you're not. So what do you, do you, do you not sing that song because you don't want to be a hypocrite? No, turn it into a prayer. Make it into a prayer. Help me. I want you to be my joy. Help me. I want to experience you as my rest. Set your mind on the truth of who God is in, in Christ. So here's what will happen. As you, as we worship in spirit and in truth, as we, as we come as we are to Jesus Christ, and as we confess to him the true state of our hearts, there may be sin to confess, there may be burdens to give to him, but we come to him as we are. And then as we ask him to increase the work of his Holy Spirit in our hearts, and then as we set our hearts on the truth of who he is as revealed in Jesus Christ, the truths of God's word, the Holy Spirit will empower those words. He will enlighten the eyes of our hearts. He will open our eyes to see who he is. He will soften our hearts. He will pour living water upon us. He, he will change our hearts and we will have joy and pleasure or awe and wonder or confession of sin and increased longing for him. He will, I promise you, because he loves us, he will change your feelings. He will change your, your heart if we'll, we'll come to him and ask him and pray. And so, what questions does that raise in your mind? That's, that's, a, that's a big question. Uh, let me just, but it's a very important question. Um, I don't think it's important to have a distinct time as much as it's important to be experiencing the things that Jesus promised those who are saved would experience. Like John 6.35, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes me will never thirst. Do you have times where Jesus, the truth of Jesus, imparted by the Spirit, so satisfies you that you, you are, your heart is completely satisfied in Him? So whether... I mean, it can be gradual, it can be sudden. That's not that important. Is it happening? Not constantly, but is it happening? Okay, and then you know you are. So that's the start. Yeah, powerful act of worship is just to say, here I am, fully surrendered to you. And the reason that that's such an act of worship is that whatever you present yourself to is what you're seeing as Worthy as, as your worth, as, as your prize, as your treasure. Right? We, we all present ourselves to things all the time. And whatever you present yourself to, whatever you are seeking, whatever you're pursuing, whatever you're obeying, trusting, that's your treasure. And so if you present yourself to God and say, I'm yours, you're my prize, you're my treasure, here I am. And uh, I mean, there's a lot more that can be said about that. Well, there's, again, there's... There's body, soul, and spirit. Paul uses those three words sometimes. There's soul and spirit. Those words, I don't think, are hard and fast categories in Paul's mind, for example. And because spirit here in John's gospel does is used to describe feeling given by the spirit, I think in John's gospel that's what Jesus means there, that's what John means there when he writes that. I'm not sure that's necessarily... That. I've never, I haven't asked myself the question, how does Paul use the word spirit? What does he mean? That's, a, that's not a question I've asked much. The only way we'd know that is if we, if we take a look and, and see. There may or may not be. Biblical authors can use words in different ways without contradicting each other. Right? That's really important. Um, can somebody else... You ask really good questions, Josie. <laughs> 
So let me just rephrase it to see. So if you find it odd that I would say that spirit in John 4 has to do with heartfelt feelings. And here's my train of thought. As I looked at how John used that word, he does use it to describe heartfelt feelings. In like John 11.33, and there's one other one, I forget. I think it's chapter 12. And then he says that spirit is something that's birthed by the spirit, right? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And when I link that with the fact that being born by the spirit results in a new heart for God, a new affection for God, a new feeling for God you didn't have before, so that's, it doesn't seem as odd to me. Yeah. And I'm with the other commentators. This isn't, this isn't like something unique with me. I'm, I'm, I'm flowing with other commentators as well. But again, it's a, it's a new thought. Okay, well, think about it. And then we can talk more if you want to. Okay, I'd like us to move into worship now. And uh, communion's going to be a part of this. And so let's, let's pray... And again, we, we're all we're in all different places in terms of what we're feeling. And so let's do what what I've suggested we do. Let's ask God to come. And again, the cross, as we set our hearts on the cross, the cross is where this all happens, because it's on the cross that our sins were paid for, so we can come and worship. And it's on the cross that since power was broken, so our hearts can be changed. And it's through the cross that the gift of the Spirit can be given to us who changes our hearts. So, Father, I pray right now that you'd come and move upon us here, Mercy Hill. We want to worship in spirit and truth. The truth of who you are as revealed in Jesus according to your word and worship in spirit with joy and pleasure, awe and wonder, confession of sin, longing for you. I pray that you'd come, Lord, and work and do that right now. So pour out your spirit upon us. Move upon each of us, Lord. Cleanse us from his like lukewarmness or complacency. Pour out your spirit, we pray. We want to glorify Jesus. We want you to be our prize. Do that in our hearts, I ask. So Dave's going to lead us in two songs. And so during these first two songs, um, you can come forward. There's the bread and the cup over here and over here. Just come up during those two songs and, and take the bread and the cup back to your seat then because I'll come up and lead us all together. And again, communion is a special time to focus on the cross, who Jesus is, what he did, the love of God displayed there, the justice of God displayed there, the mercy of God displayed there. Communion is not a time for perfect people, okay? But communion is a time for repentant people. It is important that you are surrendered to Jesus Christ, trusting him that there's no part of your life you're holding back willfully or rebelliously. So lay it all down before Jesus and then partake of communion. So Lord, move upon us now, I pray, as we come and celebrate communion and worship you. Amen. Yes, Lord. It is all true, Father. Forgiveness, salvation through the blood of your Son, your love displayed on the cross, Jesus' love for us, he loved us and gave himself up for us, and we can be redeemed by faith alone, in Christ alone. 
by your grace alone. Thank you for meeting us this morning. Thank you so much, Lord, that you are creating us to be worshipers. Thank you that you can take any heart at any time and change us. Mercy after mercy after mercy. And you've done it again this morning. Thank you. We love that you create worshipers. We love being worshipers. We love you, the God we worship. I pray that this week we would have even richer time alone, in our home groups, with our spouses and kids, worshiping you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.